Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. So as we've been in this series, we've looked at uh, that we needed a plan to grow and why it was important to know who God is and what he's doing in our lives, more about his character, more about who he is, and more about what he wants from us. And then the next week, we looked at a plan to belong, that he doesn't, Lord, never intended for us to not be involved with the body of Christ. He always intended us to be united together. He intended us to serve one another. He intended us to belong to one another and to truly give our lives to one another uh, out of our love for him. And then last week, uh, even though there, there wasn't a ton of us, some were able to make it out. Most uh, stayed in, which I'm glad you did because everybody stayed safe. But uh, we gathered and we, uh, we talked about the, the plan to prioritize, that God really wants to have the best and the first of our life. And so what we looked at, what does it mean to prioritize the, the first part of our day? And said it's going to mean to get into the Word and to spend time praying, both listening and talking to the Lord. And uh, it's going to mean to give them the first part of our worship, I mean, the first part of our week for worship. And we talked more than just about getting together. We talked about worship. And what does worship mean as we, as we gave it a definition of our, our thankful or grateful response to God for who he is and what he's done? And we talked about that. We talked about the attitude and the heart behind worship and why do we come together and worship together. We spent some time talking about that. And then we would give them the first part of our finances and our resources for him to use in his kingdom. And today we want to look at what does it mean to make a plan to love, to act, and protect. If we're going to love, act, and protect, then we need to make a plan to do it. It's not just going to simply happen randomly. So let's take a look at that. And uh, where I want us to start is a very familiar passage. It's in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. And what's happening here is that uh, some lawyers have walked up to Jesus and said, Hey, I got one to stump you. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, what's the greatest command? What's the greatest one? Because, you know, if you answer one of the first five, or first, call it tiers, is what we can call it. If you answer one of those, if that's the greatest one, then you've forgotten about how we're going to conduct ourselves with one another, and you'll be guilty of breaking the law and declaring that one part of the law is better than another part of the law, and essentially, you know, you're guilty. Lawbreaker. Okay. Now, if you declare one of the ones where we're just loving each other and caring for each other, then you've said it's not important to love God. But what does Jesus do? He's like, you got it. This really isn't that difficult. Here's what it is. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest command. In that, he summed up the entire first tier of the Ten Commandments. He summed it up. There will be no greater love in my life than the Lord. What does the Lord want from us? There will be no greater love than our love for him. No greater devotion, no greater passion, no greater anything than our love for him. And he said, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Which that then summed up the second tier. And so in those two, he summed up the entire Ten Commandments. Now, I realize that's not new for most of us in here. You're like, okay, all right, I, I get that. So in that, he wasn't stumped. In that, he didn't sin. In that, 
he declared for us a very simple way of viewing and understanding not only the Ten Commandments, but all the law and all the prophets, all the writings. Summed it up. Love God with all your heart, his greatest devotion, and love others. So here's what it means for us. Here's what it means for us sitting here today. You see, God gave us this incredibly amazing, outrageous gift. And we talk, it, talk about it almost every time we're together, right? While we were sinners, Christ came and died for us. Now we can just, just yep, I've been in church a long time, I've heard that one. No, while we were still sinners, separated from God, alienated from God, enemies with God, there was no peace in our life with God. We deserved wrath, we deserved the judgment that was upon us, which is death, spiritual death and physical death. We deserved it. We deserved to have no interaction with the living God who is perfect, holy, and righteous. We deserved that. And Jesus, being fully God and fully man, came, walked on the earth, lived a perfect life, and died on our behalf. Took that penalty upon himself. Took that death upon himself. If that doesn't still give you goosebumps, then you may not really be wrestling with what that means. He took our penalty. Who does that? He took our penalty and died a death and was separated from the Father on our behalf. For what reason? That at any time that we are seen by the Father, which is all the time, without stop and without cease, we are not seen as the sinners, the unrighteous people that we are. We're not seen as the, as the adulterers and the hypocrites and the, that we are. We're not seen as that. We're seen as holy, justified, and righteous sons and daughters of God. Because he took the price and paid the penalty and then invited us into his family, depositing the Holy Spirit into our lives, blessing us with every spiritual blessing, calling us sons and daughters, making us heir to the kingdom of God. That's what he gave us. And what did we have to pay for that? Nothing. What did it cost us? Not a thing. What did it cost him? Everything. So what's our response going to be? What will our response be for this most amazing gift that could be given to us? To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. And to love others, and to love others. That's going to be our response. That's now the position, the direction, and the attitude, and the goal of our lives, to love others. Out of the love that we have for God. That means he's our number one, he's our priority. All things in life are determined through him and by him. And you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, I get that. Then the question for you is you look forward. As we get to the end of this series, as we're saying we need to make plans to grow closer to God. How are you doing? How are you doing with the Lord Almighty being your first love? The first object of your affection. The first object of your worship. The first of everything in your life. I know we have up days and down days. But the overwhelming desire of your heart, how are you doing with that? And then if that's true, how's that coming out towards other people? 
How's that being lived out towards other people? Do the people around you know that your first love is God by the way you treat them? Here's what Jesus said about how we will express this amazing love and devotion to him and to other people's lives. He said in John 13, he says this, a new command I give you. Not, hey, here's a suggestion. Not, hey, if you feel like it. Not if everybody's nice to you. Not if you're not having a bad day. Not if everything's going your way. He didn't say anything like that at all. He said, not even if you choose. He said, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If we are fully devoted to God, our life is fully his. We love him with our greatest love and devotion. He is our first love and first devotion. Then what's going to come out of us? As his disciples, we are going to love others as he has loved us. The world will know we are the disciples of Christ, that he is our great love by the way we love them and treat them. Uh, you won't do it perfectly, nor will I. Uh, we will offend people and we will hurt people and we will do crummy things to people. Does it matter to us that we do that? Are we looking to change that? Is the great desire of our heart to love others the way that Christ has loved us? Is that what comes out of our life because of our great devotion to him? Does the world know that we follow Jesus not because we come to church, not because we tithe, not because we go to Bible studies, not even because we show up and help serving some people, but because of the way that we treat them, because of how we love them, do they know that we are disciples and followers of Christ, that he is our great love. In, John 1, in James 1.27, it says this, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for the orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Oh, and that refusing to let the world corrupt us is definitely with all sin in our lives, with all understanding of how we're supposed to live, with all understanding of who God is and his power and place in our life. Absolutely, it means that. But it also means without letting the world corrupt you in terms of caring for the orphans and the widows in their times of distress. Meaning that if we love God and then we love others the way he loved us, we are going to care for the orphans and the widows and those that are oppressed and those that are harassed in their time of distress. And we can't let the world and its agendas and its schedule and its priorities and its fears to corrupt us. Book of Amos, he's a minor prophet in the Old Testament. He spends the first half of his statements and his prophecy declaring to Israel just that they're messing up. And that they have so much and they're sharing so little. And God's given them so much and they're giving so little. And that they're cheating those who are oppressed and poor. They're literally changing the weights on scales to get over on them. They're charging them high interest rates. They're hurting people. And he gets to chapter 5, and here's what he says. The response from the Lord to some questions. And here's the response of the Lord through Amos. He says, I hate all your show and your pretense. The hypocrisy of your religious festivals and your 
solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings, your grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice of justice, and an endless river of righteous living. He's saying, hey, it's good that you come to worship. It's, it's good that you're involved in things of sacrifice and even religious duty. That's, that, that's okay. That's good. You're going to learn, you're going to grow, and you're going to be devoted. That's true. But it's not about the expression or the moment of doing that. It's about that in this great love for God, it's going to come out at others. And when we're cheating others, when we're getting over on others, when we're ignoring the plight of others, when we turn our back on those that are hurting, what was all the worship about? What was all the clamoring and the singing about? Because if you're about me, God, I'm about the hurting, the oppressed. That's what I'm about. That's why I stepped into your life. Isaiah 58, we see some of the same exact imagery. Isaiah declared all sorts of ways that Israel and primarily Judah had walked separately and away and how they had turned their back on the Lord and he had declared all these things. And then, the Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah addresses them, and he says this. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. And then they say this to me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. They're saying again, look at all we're doing for you, God. Look at the way that we're denying ourselves and sacrificing. And look at all the religious worship that we're involved in. We even fast, and as we fast, we make it really hard on ourselves. So when we ask you these things, why don't you give us what we want? When we ask you specifically to interact with our life, why don't you do what we're asking you to do, Lord? What more do you want from us? We need to be really careful here. It might be easy to beat up on Judah or Israel or any other religious person. It might be easy to beat up on them. But we need to understand something here. That language, it doesn't speak of somebody who was faking it. It doesn't speak of somebody who was just a, uh, you know, just going through the motions, per se. It doesn't. That language literally speaks of that they were passionate and they were diligent. And they were passionate to know the Lord's laws. They wanted to know how to live. They were trying to follow the Ten Commandments. They were trying to learn more. They were trying to bring sacrifices to the Lord. But their heart was wrong. They were doing it so that they might receive the blessing of the Lord instead of out of their devotion and their worship and their care and their love and their admiration and their, their, their gratitude to the Lord for who He is. They were still doing it for selfish gain. 
And this is what the Lord said. In verse in 58, 6 through 7, he says, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly in prison. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. And remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. He's saying all this love and devotion and worship is supposed to come out towards others. It's a love and devotion that I've given you, and now you're giving back to me, and now we're going to give it to those around us. That's your great act of worship. That's your act of worship. These other things are expressions of your devotion and your gratitude, and it's expressions of our relationship. But how do we express this love for the Lord? We go love people the way he loved us. Jesus, using the imagery of of Isaiah 58, has that what's now become a pretty famous, even quoted passage in Matthew 25, where it's judgment day. And sometimes we forget that's the occasion that it's happening, but it's judgment day. And Jesus is sitting on the throne of, of judgment and all are coming before him. All, all are coming before him. And he sits there and he says, yeah, 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 uh, righteous, wicked, righteous over here, wicked over here, righteous over here, wicked over here. Now, it's not arbitrary. It's not random. It's not, hey, heaven's getting a little too full, so we'll shove a couple people over here. No. It's all those who are in Christ, who received the gift of grace and mercy, all those who have been covered by the blood of Christ. So as they're walking up, he's saying, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I see me. I see me, I see me, I see me. You're not me. You're not one of, no, no, you rejected the truth. No, I see you, right? That's what it is. And then, as they're standing there, Jesus makes this incredible statement. He said, then the king will say to those on his right, the righteous, he'll say, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Whoosh. And the righteous will stand there and they will say this. Say, Lord, When did we see you hungry and fed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothing and you clothe me? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? When? When, Lord? And then he will respond. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. We're we're right back there again. That our love and our devotion... We've already seen as righteous and unrighteous. But those who truly surrender their lives to Christ and have this great love and devotion for the Lord that grows, absolutely. It grows through time and it grows through understanding and it grows through understanding its action, absolutely. It probably isn't today what it was before. It's probably much greater and much deeper. But it will cause us to act like the one we're devoted to. 
that will cause us to respond like the one that we worship. Then he looks over at the wicked and they say to him the same thing the righteous said. And he says the same thing right back to him. And they say, but when did we see you? When you failed to do this to the least of them, you failed to do it unto me. There's a response. Heaven isn't held hostage by all the good things we do or all the way we help people. No. That relationship, when it's real and it's genuine and it's the love of our lives, that relationship will live itself out in love, care, compassion to those that are hurting and harassed and helpless. It'll live itself out. I want to read a couple things to you. Bruce Walke, a Hebrew scholar, adds this perspective by helping us understand what it means to be righteous and wicked. Righteous people, Walke says, deprive themselves for the sake of community. Wicked people see their resources as belonging to them and to them alone. Righteous people see that much of what they have belongs to the community. The wicked says, no, it's all mine. Tim Keller, in commenting on these passages in Isaiah and Matthew, says this. A deep social conscience and a life poured out in service to others, especially the poor, here it comes now, is the inevitable sign of real faith. And justice is the grand symptom of a real relationship with God. If you know him, it'll be there. Oh, it may come slowly, but it will come. If it doesn't, you may not have the relationship with God that you think you have. Justice is at the heart of biblical faith. So we might be able to say this. To act justly is the inevitable sign of real faith. In the same type of discourse and dialogue in Micah, Ah, the Israel asked the same questions. With what shall we come before the Lord? We bow down and exalt God. Shall we come before him with burnt offerings and calves a year old? That would be the best offering you could bring. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? And the Lord responds through Micah. And he says this. He has shown you, shown us all through the pages of Scripture. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's look at acting justly. It is for sure the means of not hurting somebody else. It's the means of having a a strong character. It's the means of being honest. It it, it means that my yes is my yes and my no is my no. And what God said is right is right. And what God says is wrong is wrong. And I will not hurt you. I will not take advantage of you. I will not oppress you. I will not put you down and put a yoke of oppression upon you. I will not keep you in your desperate situation. I will not act in such a manner to bring that about in your life. Does that make sense? I'll have the character of Christ. That would definitely mean what it means to act justly. 
I will have honest and integrity. I will conduct myself. I'll never be that, you know, that kind of stereotypical used car salesman. No, no, really, it works. It's great. Oh, best car that's going to be on the road. <laughs> it's a good one. Uh, yeah. Oh, the rattling. Don't worry about it. Oh, cars rattle at some point or another. It'll go away soon. And you get down the road, three blocks, and it breaks. Three months, and it doesn't run. A year, and a single mom that just needed a car to get to work, to take care of her family, is now out the very overpriced used car and is back in a hole that she can't dig herself out of. Yeah, that doesn't happen. That's just imagery. Until a family sat down with us who was just in such difficult financial circumstances, we kept helping them. It was at a church I was at, and we're like, okay, that, you, you need to bring your finances in. we got to look at everything. What is going on? Because you're, you're actually, you actually have more, like a tremendous amount more going out in debt than you're bringing in. What is going on? And we thought for sure it was going to be a lot of credit card and consumer debt. And lo and behold, his biggest problem, the single biggest problem, is his car broke down to the point that it could not be fixed or the amount of money it was going to cost was going to be outrageous. He didn't have any money to get it fixed anyways. So he went to a car lot with really rotten credit and said, I need a car. I work an hour away. And I can't change jobs. This has been my job for the last 15 years, and now I have retirement wrapped up in it, and it's what I know how to do. Oh, no problem, they told him, as they sold him a beat-up car at 26% interest. He was paying almost $1,000 a month for this car. To act justly means that we're honest, and we have high character, and we're not looking to get over on anybody. But it's more than just that. It's also defending those who are in those moments, defending and helping those who are in the bondage of oppression, defending and walking alongside those who can't protect themselves, who don't have the knowledge or the understanding, or have been trapped in cycles of poverty or cycles of crime or cycles of sin and can't make their way out of it, can't see heads from tails. We are to walk with people, bringing justice into people's lives helping them to have peace with God and peace in the midst of their life. We are to bring that into their lives. To act justly is to bring justice to them. Step in the gap. Fill in for a while. Meet needs where needs need to be met. Give them room to breathe and to teach them how to live righteously with great character and that they might live justly and to love mercy. If we go back to Isaiah 58, we need to see, see that it says to, to, to release those who are caught in, in bondage and have the yoke of bondage upon them. And it says this, share food with the hungry. The Hebrew commentators of these passages literally say that it means to wait on the hungry. It's not saying just give money so that somebody else can serve the food. It's saying that we as we are the followers of the living God, instrument of God's grace and mercy, we are to step justly into somebody's life and begin to physically meet those needs. That's what it would mean to act justly. 
At this point, we need to be really careful because we might go, that is so great that our God has empathy towards the poor. That is so great that those that are oppressed and those are hurting, that our God has a great empathy and sympathy for them. Don't make that mistake. Whatever you do, the pages of Scripture do not allow us to make that mistake. It's far more than an empathy, and it's far more than a sympathy. At the very least, it's a compassion, which means to suffer with, at the very least. In Christ, we see just how far God went to identify with the poor, the harassed, and the oppressed. Just how far he went to show and demonstrate his love and his care. He was born in the feeding trough. When his parents took him to the temple to, offer, to, to give their offering, they brought two pigeons. It was the lowest acceptable offering. It meant they were on the lowest socioeconomic rung. Jesus was essentially homeless. He said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, and the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He rode into town on a borrowed donkey. He ate his last meal in a borrowed room. And he was buried in a borrowed tomb. He was poor. Our Jesus, our God, was poor. As scholars have studied the trial and execution of Jesus, some of the following has been written. Jesus' arrest, interrogation, lack of defense counsel, the physical abuse, everything about his arrest and trial was a disgrace of justice. So when the Lord stands before us, he says, when did we see you naked? Or we ask him, when did we see you naked? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you as a prisoner? Jesus will be able to say, Really? They cast lots from my garments. I was naked, and I cried out in thirst. I was beaten. Once again, Tim Keller, as he comments on this passage, adds this last thought. Jesus Christ literally became one of the oppressed. He literally went under the yoke of injustice and oppression. And now, because of all that, says this to us. I who deserve vindication got condemnation. So you who have messed up this world, who deserve condemnation, I did it so that you could get justice, a pardon, and mercy. Jesus Christ plunged himself into our lives. He took his glory at infinite cost to himself and threaded himself into our lives that he might save us. To act justly is to make sure that we act with integrity and honesty. Absolutely. But to act justly is to step into people's lives and fill the gaps where they have been treated, have lived, are in cycles, have been abandoned, in unjust ways and manners. And we're to love them with the love that Christ loved us with, which depicted so much mercy for us, which is why we are to love mercy. You see that love for mercy? It almost goes this way, and then it works itself back up, right? Because how can we do anything but to love mercy when we contemplate in our worship 
in our study, in our Bible studies, in our reading of the word, in our times of prayer, when we contemplate the mercy that the Lord lavished upon us, how could we do anything but want to offer mercy to others? If I gave you a quick definition that you could hang on to forever for mercy, that we would love mercy. Mercy? Not getting what you deserve. To love mercy is not giving. It's to love the opportunity to not give to somebody what they deserve. <laughs> you deserve for me to kick you to the curb. But to love mercy is to be able to take those opportunities with wisdom and discernment and guidance from the Lord and to shower somebody with mercy. And the prophet ends with to walk humbly with our Lord. Our life is his. The days, the minutes, the seconds, the resources, it's his, not ours. We were bought and redeemed at a price to become his sons and daughters. So we walk humbly with the Lord. Our hands and our hearts and our, our lives wide open and say, Lord, direct us. Because here's the reality. And what I just talked about this morning, we could spend our entire lives, every moment, second by second, just standing on one street corner in one city and just helping people. And, and I, I'll, I'll take care of that and I'll step into that and let me solve this for you. And oh my goodness. And I, that's not what the Lord wants us to do. He gave us this life. And our life has many purposes to it. Number one thing is to glorify him. He gives our different jobs where we intersect lives. He gives our families that we're supposed to raise and grow. He gave us one another that we're supposed to pour in and help raise up. And he will allow our lives and cause our lives and direct our lives to intersect with just the right moments, with just the right people that we are supposed to step in and demonstrate the most amazing mercy and to, to, to act justly and to give of ourselves and to pick somebody up. Oh, he'll direct us exactly how we're supposed to do it. But we have to have this heart that says, I want to act justly, and I do love mercy, and I humbly give this day, this minute, this second to you, Lord. Direct my steps and how I will act. Direct it and who I'll interact with. Direct how you would like to use me. Direct it. So we humbly give him everything. As a church, we got to walk down some of those paths. As a church, we're going to walk down some of those paths of justice and mercy. You'll have to be asking God. You're going to ask the Father because you're going to humbly walk with him. And you're going to say, where do I plug in with my other brothers and sisters? As well as at work and in my neighborhood and at the grocery store and driving down the street. Where, Lord, where am I going to act justly and love mercy and humbly walk with you that all that I have is yours? We don't have to fear not having. The Lord has plenty. And when we follow him, we'll have all we need. But as a church, we're going to go down a couple paths. And the first one we're going to do is we're going to protect some people. And we're going to work at protecting and loving and serving the unborn. If we look at all those that are out there, we look at all those that have a yoke upon them. We look at all those that that can't speak for themselves, that are caught in the midst of somebody else's actions. The unborn is part of that. And so what does that mean? 
And I know this can be a delicate subject for some of us, including myself, if you'll remember last year when I shared that this is part of my story. This experience of a, an abortion is part of my story. And so I don't say this with callousness. I definitely don't say it with guilt or shame. And there's no political agenda for me whatsoever. But we need to walk alongside the unborn. And we need to serve them. And we need to protect them. And we need to act justly and to love mercy and follow the Lord's leading. So this year we've set aside a small amount of our, of our giving to give to Mosaic Ministries, which is a crisis pregnancy center in town. So that they can walk alongside women who find themselves in pregnancies and they can share and talk and educate people about different choices that are made, choices that don't include abortion. And I hope that that amount of money raises greatly over the years and months to come. But we have to step in. We can't just have an opinion about something that is righteous and unrighteous. We have to be willing. And that means we're going to have to walk alongside some moms. That means we're going to have to pick them up. That means there's going to be some families going to have to say, hey, my, my door's open. I got a bedroom. And if there's a, if there's a mom who needs a place to stay because of this pregnancy, then my house is it. There's going to be some families that are going to have to walk alongside moms for the first couple of years, teaching them, showing them, helping to provide for them. There's going to have to be some, some families that say, hey, you know what? I'm in. I'll provide diapers and baby food and whatever it takes for the first year. And we're going to have to do some things like that. There's going to be some people in our family that are going to have to say, hey, count me in for adoption. If mom says she can't have the baby, I'll take it. I don't know how the Lord will lead in all that, but we're going to have to step in. We can't just say something is unjust and have no action for it. We have to step in and act justly and love mercy. But we also need to have a plan to protect the, the children that are born. The ones who have been abandoned, who have been hurt, who evil has come against them, who no longer have a home, who are the modern-day orphans in the United States. And that happens through the foster system. And so we need to have a plan, and we have that. Church, I need you to hear something. I need you to hear it loudly. On Thursday, I got to sit down with a couple other people in our church, and we met with the county social workers. And they heard about what happened in December and how we loved families. And we stepped in into the foster system. And they said, hey, uh, uh, could we maybe use your place for a once-a-month meeting so our families could come here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, hello, yes. Uh, yeah. uh, how much? Nothing, nothing. Use this place. It's yours. And they said, hey, uh, could you do another one of those night things where you, you know, you, you have stuff for kids? And I go, yeah, we're planning on it. Well, we're going to have this big celebration and say hip, hip, parade them to families. And could you do it on that night? <laughs> yes. Oh, you betcha. We can do that. And they said, do you think you got anybody in church that could, uh, that could uh, uh, mentor some teenagers? We have a really tough time in the foster system with teenagers. We need some mentors for them. I'm like, hey, sign me up. You got time for that? I go, oh, I, I have time. I, I, how could I not have time for that? Yes. Sign me up. I go, there'll be other people in our church. I'm sure of it. There'll be others. Sign them up too. She goes, which ones? I'm all of them. I'll give you the list. Right? I mean, whatever it ends up being, right? But we're going to step into this and we're going to say, we're here, Lord. We're here to act justly. We're here to, to show mercy. And we're here to humbly walk wherever you'll lead this path. 
And some in our church right now are getting trained to be foster parents. I'm so thankful to the Lord and what he's doing. I'm so amazed at what he's doing. So amazed. We need to help out those who are, are, are poor and impoverished, those that are aliens and refugees in our, in, our, in our country. And you're like, hey, hey, you're getting political. I'm getting biblical. It says help out those who are strangers. The word stranger in, in the Hebrew literally meant aliens and refugees and those that weren't part of your, your, your homeland. So I'm getting biblical here. And it says we got to help them out. So here's what we're doing. We're going over to the other side of town every last th- Tuesday. You can get signed up right now. And we're, and we're serving dinner. Why are we serving dinner? Hey, because they're not doing so hot. They don't have a whole lot as they're re- reorganizing life and trying to get established and get jobs and learn a new culture. And, and eh, they, don't, they just need a little help. So we're providing meals and we're providing conversations. And Tree of Life is providing ESL classes and life skill classes and and, and, and job classes and all sorts of stuff. And we're just stepping in. And then we're going to go one step further. We've started the pantry and you guys have started to fill it up. And we're going to say to families, if you don't have food in your cupboard, come here. And we'll go to you and we'll put food in your cupboard because we want to help. But as we do it, we're going to step in and we're going to say, hey, what else is going on in your life? And how else can we help push you? we got a group of women who are saying, hey, why do we just have to give them canned food? How can we, can't, can we make meals and send them to their house? I'm like, yeah. We can make meals and send them to their house. That'd be great. Can we teach them how to cook? I'm like, you betcha. We have this like multiple $100,000 million kitchen, whatever we have. I may have exaggerated that. But we have it, and what do we typically use it for? So we can sit around and fellowship. That's great. We need it. But how about if we start using that kitchen to like start cooking for people? Act justly. Love mercy. And humbly walk with our God, and we'll walk through the doors that he opens for us. So Wednesday, we're going to be praying for how our church can act justly, love mercy. We're going to pray for our missionaries, our local missionaries. We're going to pray for the foster care. We're going to pray for the unborn. I hope you'll be with us on Wednesday.